is wanting you to run that race. It's your race. No one can run it for you, but he wants you to be unburdened. He wants you to be able to run that race as efficiently, swiftly, beautifully, and lightly as possible. And that's exactly why Jesus is so important. Because look at verse two, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So what's holding you back? What's in your head or your heart that's keeping you from being all in with Jesus? Everybody has baggage that they think they can't get rid of and that won't let them get any closer to God. Well, today's teaching with Pastor Daniel is going to attack those notions. You're going to learn that nothing is too hard for God and that he looks for difficulties in your life to show you and the unbelievers around you what he's capable of. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Hebrews chapter 12 as he begins his message, The Resilience Equation. If you're anything older than about 26, you remember exactly where you were when you heard about September 11th. I remember where I was because I'm from New Jersey, just outside of New York, but I remember where I was because I was sleeping. And when you're from the East Coast, but you live on the West Coast, I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time, you get very used to people calling you at about 5.30 in the morning. Because your loved ones on the East Coast, they're drinking their coffee, they're driving to work, and they're like, oh, I'll go call Daniel, forgetting that it's three hours ahead and it's 5.30. And at that point in my life, I didn't have any kids, I wasn't even married yet. And so the idea of being up at 5.30 in the morning, there was no good reason for me to be up at that time. Now that I have kids, getting up at 5.30 is a little different. But at the time, so I remember my phone started ringing. And this was before cell phones were prevalent. We still had phones connected to the wall with this little box with a little tape thing in there, an answering machine, where you literally, I wonder who called. And, and I remember my phone started just ringing off the hook. And I remember I rolled over and I looked at the clock and it was like 5.15 or 5.30. And I remember just being like, oh, don't they realize it's early here? And I just kind of hit the answering machine and shut it off. And then finally, when it was like the fourth call, I'm like, okay, someone is not going to let up. Because when they're from New Jersey, they don't stop. There's no chill. And so they're going to keep going. And I remember I picked up the phone and my buddy Rob screamed on the other end, where's Chris? And I'm like, excuse me? And he's like, where's Chris? And I'm like, Bro, I just was dreaming about playing the bass. Like, where's Chris? What are you talking about? And he's like, oh, you don't know. And I'm like, don't know what? And he's like, there's something going on in the Twin Towers in New York. I think Chris works there. And I'm like, bro, like, what are you talking about? He's like, go find a television. And he hung up on me. And I remember just waking up and being like, what is going on? Now, at this point in my life, I'm like 20 four years old, I did not have a working television in my house. Not because I was against TV, I just couldn't afford it, you know? <laughs> and so, so it's like, I'm like, I don't have a television, and I'm like, I need to find a TV only to remember when I'm in my car, in my sweatpants, that like, it's 5.30 in the morning, so like, 
nothing's really open either. And I'm driving around, and I remember tuning in to the radio as I drove around and hearing what was going on. I tell you this story because I remember watching in a diner. There was a diner that had like a bar with a TV. And I remember watching the second tower fall down. And I remember just being like, oh my gosh, Lord. And at the time, being from New Jersey, I was an assistant pastor at a church in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time. And I remember saying, Lord, how are we going to make it through this? And what's interesting for me is, and when I think about that, what I realize is that September 11th was one of the most tragic things that happened in my generation. I was talking to somebody recently, and they were, I was like, what's the most tragic thing you remember? And they remembered when uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. People remember right where they were if you were alive for that. You remember exactly where you were. I remember as a younger kid, I remember when the Challenger shuttle exploded. I was watching that in, in grade school. I remember they shut the TV off real fast and uh, tried to divert our attention. And so when these tragedies happen, you ask yourself, you know, how are we going to make it? And that's why I actually today I'm, I feel honored that I get to share. I have a, this brand new book. It's called You're Going to Make It. And the first story in the book is about September 11th. And I see how God works in these ways to remind us of who he is. And as we get going, I want to unpack some of the ideas behind the book. Not what's in the book but the ideas that drove it. And if you get the book and you go to the dedication page, you're going to realize that I dedicated the book to you all, to the Crossroads family. And the reason I did that is because it is one of the greatest privileges of my life to be one of your pastors. And week in, week in and week out, we walk through life together. And when I think about my 10 years here at Crossroads, we've walked through all sorts of things together. All sorts of things have gone on. Even as I look around the sanctuary here, it's like significant things, heartaches, heartbreaks, tragedies, things that have gone on in our world and in our lives that we just don't quite know what to do with them. And in a lot of ways, I feel like I got the privilege to write this book because it's a book that's been born from our journey together. That as a pastor, often I get invited into some of the most horrendous situations. And I have to have the right thing to say, or at the very least, my heart in the right place when I show up not knowing what to say. And so, so much of what I wrote in the book is the stuff that is just born out of the journeys of life on this side of eternity. If I've said it in this pulpit once, I've said it a thousand times, that life is messy, but Jesus is real. And those two truths, they always ring true. Life never asks for permission to bring whatever it brings. Every once in a while, God will raise up a prophet and he'll say, hey, listen, on this day, this thing's going to happen. But most of the time, we don't get that. It just shows up. And normally when it shows up, especially the real tough things, it shows up like a sucker punch. You don't see it coming and it just lands. And for all of us, I believe that our faith in Jesus, for those of you here who have put your faith and trust in Jesus, when the sucker punch comes, it's our faith in Jesus 
that helps us to navigate things that don't make a lot of sense. You know, I always think of the great boxer of my generation, Mike Tyson, who used to say, everyone's got a plan until you get punched in the face. <laughs> and the thing is, is us as believers, and I realize not everyone here at Crossroads is a follower of Jesus. And for those of you who aren't, listen, I'm just super happy you're with us. We want you to be a follower of Jesus. Realize everyone's on their own step of faith. We can't make anyone be somewhere else. But what I want to tell you is that for the believer, your plan should be, I want to become more and more like Jesus. And when you get punched in the face, it should be, God, you're trying to make me more like Jesus right now. Because our faith is an anchor that holds in the storm. Our Savior is a rock on which we build our lives that when the wind and the waves and the struggles and the storms of life come, although our houses get weather beaten and things get mangled, that house stands because it's built on a strong foundation. And when I look at what's going on in the world, when I look at what's going on in my own life, I'm just so aware of the foundational reality of Jesus is even more essential now than maybe at any other point in history. Because in a culture where there is no more foundation, we're watching everything crumble. Now, don't get me wrong. Society needs to keep changing. There's things that exist that aren't the best things. And we have things, things need to change. That's part of life. But I'm talking about you and your life, your family. And so you're going to make it, Unlocking Resilience When Life is a Mess, is a book that is simply about what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in a world full of uncertainty and messes. And so to start off today, I want you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to take verses 1 and 2 together to kind of see some of the ideas that kind of undergird the book. And so turn to the book of Hebrews. If you don't know where that is, it's towards the end of the New Testament. It's in between the book of Philemon, which is only one chapter. So the pastoral epistles, you have First and Second Timothy and Titus and then Philemon. And then also then you get into the book of James. So Hebrews is right there. Hebrews chapter 12, it says this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, I love this because Verse one begins with this simple word, which is therefore. And when you see the word therefore in the Bible, what do you say? What's it there for? Yes, this is English comprehension, Bible interpretation 101. Therefore is a conclusion. Now, what's it there for? He says, therefore, because Hebrews chapter 11 tells the great hall of faith, that the hall of great faith, all these different people who walked by faith in the Lord, and God did all sorts of things in their lives. 
Not all of it was pretty. There were those who were beheaded, those who were left for dead, those who got martyred for their faith. And then there was all these other people who God did amazing things because they trusted in him. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. See, this is one of the reasons why I love the Bible. I see these stories of men and women, people just like you, just like me, imperfect people who God does great things in their life. That is also why I love being surrounded by a great family like the Crossroads family. And it's why this week as men's and women's and all the ministries launched, we want you to be there because there's a great cloud of witnesses, men and women of God here at Crossroads who God is doing things in their lives. And what's amazing is, is for the great cloud of witnesses, they weren't this great witness or testimony before the issues happened. It's how God works through the issues. That's what creates the testimony. And so we need one another. And because we're surrounded by these amazing testimonies, whether they be biblical testimonies or from the history of the people of God or street level stuff that's going on in people's lives today, Since we're surrounded by that, then we need to lay aside every weight it says and the sin which so easily ensnares us. So I love this. Really what he's saying is that, listen, you need to be unburdened. Why? Because there's a race that's set before each one of us. Your life is akin to a race that you are running. And because we have the great testimony of the people of God We need to lay aside all the things that make that race harder. And I love this. He says at the end of verse one, that we might run with what? Endurance. That we might run with resilience. Now, I've joked a lot here recently because historically I've never been a runner at all. Don't really like running. Playing baseball growing up, I got shin splints, so that gave me a good excuse not to run. You know what I mean? I was looking for the out. But then sure enough, along the way, I had a buddy pray for me that I would be able to run. And then sure enough, he's like, well, go run tomorrow. And I started running. And you know how it goes when you start walking down that road. It never ends there. Then all of a sudden, I start hanging out with people like, oh, man, you should get a weighted vest. And you should run in a weighted vest. (laughs) Now, I'm the kind of guy that in the moment, that sounds really fun. Pray for me. I don't like running. It's like, yeah, let's put on 20 pounds on the vest and let's go running. And so sure enough, I get this vest and there's like these weights on each side. On the plate that says, this is not bulletproof armor, so don't go get shot in the chest with this thing on. So then I'm like, and I'm out running. And what's amazing is, is then there's all these workouts that are designed that happen when you're wearing this weighted vest, which is even more dumb than running with the vest on. But it's like you run with the vest on and then you do all like you do pull-ups and push-ups and squats and then you run again. And I remember a couple summers ago, I had my kids doing this because that's the beauty of being a dad. Like you don't get any ice cream unless we go do this together, you know? And so I remember the first time we did this thing and this workout's called a Murph. It's named after a Navy SEAL who lost his life in Afghanistan. And so the workout designed after it. I remember when I did this workout, When I finally got done, the only thing I wanted was to take that vest off and never put it on again. And when that happened, I thought of this verse. Because it's one thing to run and work out with your normal body, and then it's another thing to put 20 pounds added on that thing. And that's so much of how many of us are running the race of our lives right now, is we are encumbered by all of this garbage 
habits and issues and hurts. And we're running this race, but really all we're doing is we're just grinding out. And I was talking to our founding pastor, Bill Ritchie, and we were talking about all this. He's like, oh man, the last thing you should ever do is run with that weighted vest on. He's like, for each extra pound, it adds like six extra pounds of pressure to your joints. And he's like, he just gave me all the science. And I'm like, great. I've been doing this for two years, Jack. Like, come on, tell somebody. Like, but all of this is so biblical because, listen, I'm here to tell you the stuff that you're carrying around, the things that hold you back from following hard after Jesus, it's all just weighing you down. But yet we're still called to run with endurance. So I'm going to tell you, wherever you are on the journey right now, God is wanting you to run that race. It's your race. No one can run it for you, but he wants you to be unburdened. He wants you to be able to run that race as efficiently, swiftly, beautifully, and lightly as possible. And that's exactly why Jesus is so important. Because look at verse two, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So right here, here's what we learn is that if you want to Know that you're going to make it in the middle of the journey. You need to realize that Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. He says, listen, because you have a great cloud of witnesses, I want you to run this race with endurance and lay aside every weight and every sin that holds you back. And we're going to look to Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith. Now, here's what I want to tell you about Jesus, my friends. Jesus is not only our example, but he is our example. So Jesus is our savior. He is God in the flesh. He is the Messiah. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the only person who deserves our undying allegiance. He is so much more than just an example. But here what we find is that we can look to Jesus as an example, as the primary example of how to live our lives. The writer to the Hebrews, now some of you grew up hearing that Paul was the writer of the Hebrews. It actually never says that. So it's just like, normally people just say it's the writer of the Hebrews. And if you're a scholar, you can argue if you think Paul wrote it or if he didn't write it. I personally think it doesn't matter who wrote it because the Holy Spirit inspired it. And as long as the Spirit inspired it is good, whoever wrote it, who cares? Amen? <laughs> now, if I just said who cares and you really care, I love you still. Amen? Because I say that, and then someone's like, I really care. And I'm like, okay, well, I care too. Not that much, but hey. (laughs) But Paul begins by saying, look who is the author and finisher of our faith. I love that. Jesus is the beginning and the end of our faith. He is the initiator and the person who completes our faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. And here's what I want to tell you. That simple reality, when you say, Jesus is the object of my life, he is the center, he is number one, I must decrease, that he must increase, he is greater than I, that alone is the battleground of Christian maturity right there, because every single day when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, we are all still battling, there is a battle going on because we want the preeminence, we want the glory, we want to be the center of everything, and then our culture says, man, you can have it your way, you're the center of everything, except nobody's the center of everything. So our relationships break down and our views of work break down because everything we have is an attempt to 
prop up a false identity. But when you realize Jesus, he's the author and the finisher. Now my identity is fixed because of who Jesus is. And then I can enjoy my relationships and I can enjoy my work and I don't have to win at everything because I realize the reason I believed in Jesus is because I don't win at everything. He won. He's the victor. But it says, look at Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, and then explains that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he's despised in his shame, and now he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And when I think about Jesus as our example, there is so much for us to learn from the life that Jesus lived and ultimately his death and resurrection. Listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 13, verses 13 to 16. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. I always like to remind people that when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, this was long before our great hygiene products that we have. Like most of you, you change your socks every day and all the people around you say, praise God. And some of you go and you get your toes did and you got the pumice stone to get all the dead skin off of it. If you have toe fungus, then they got the medicines to get rid of that. Am I grossing you guys out yet? Yeah, you know, it's like you got ingrown toenails and then they pull that thing out and it's like, and even if you don't like using all the hardcore stuff, you put some like oil of oregano on that stuff, you smell like a pizza shop and it heals the fungus. It's, it's awesome. Can I get an amen in the, in the house of Jesus? Yeah, holla, right? This was long before all that. And the disciples, they didn't have like nice orthopedic shoes. It's like these guys were wearing like Birkenstocks without the souls, and it was dusty, and they were fishermen. And it wasn't like everywhere you went, there was like a hand sanitizer station. This was before they even had deodorant. You know how that smelled? <laughs> yeah. So Jesus washing the disciples' feet wasn't like this beautiful thing where you go in there, and they have a little thing for your feet. They have a little massage. It's warm water, and it smells like lavender. And they're like, oh, it's so good to see you today. Can I massage your feet? No, it was nasty. These were fisher dudes. But Jesus washes their feet with joy. And this is what I love about Jesus, because Jesus is like, yeah, so listen, if I'm your Lord and your teacher, I washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He's like, I'm your example. I'm your teacher. I'm your Lord. I did this, so now go do this. And then by the time he gets down to the end, he's like, a servant's not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you want, if you do them. So Jesus invites us to be like him in serving one another. It's kind of scary to look around at all of what was thought to be the stable foundations of society, all levels of government, 
the way people think about God and the church, lots of things we take for granted and watch them churn and change in front of our eyes. It causes people to question why they live their lives the way they do. But Pastor Daniel reminded you today that through the power of God and you're hanging on to Jesus, you're going to make it. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I realize that there are many of you You're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who just received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm so excited for you. I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400. And my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue his teaching, The Resilience Equation talking about how to be like the people who make up the great cloud of witnesses in the book of Hebrews. You'll be reminded of what those people had to endure while they didn't do everything perfectly right. Who does? What they did do was trust God and fight their way through their difficulties. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series, You're Gonna Make It, next time. Until then, may God bless.